G'day Dave here and we're looking at the Bible in 10 and we've finished the Old Testament and now we're looking at the New Testament and I want to look at Jesus and history. Uh, if you open up to Matthew's Gospel chapter 1 you can see the beginning of the Gospel, the good news about Jesus and Matthew starts in an unusual way, at least it's unusual I think for many of us as we read. It doesn't sound particularly exciting, he starts with a genealogy, a list of names and it begins like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it lists all of these names. And uh, Abraham is the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram. And you can kind of keep reading down. We're only at verse three. You can work your way all the way down to verse 17. And it says, thus there were 14 generations uh, in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile uh, to the Messiah. Now, what do we make of this introduction to the story of Jesus? Why give us a genealogy? Well, I hope if you've been looking over the last uh, few weeks as we've explored the Old Testament, there is a great deal of anticipation that's built into the family line. Uh, God made promises to Abraham, so you start looking down through Abraham's descendants. God makes promises to King David, and you look down through his descendants, and then you eventually discover that he doesn't have any more descendants sitting on the throne. And that takes place at the time of the exile to Babylon. And you've got these three landmarks here. And these three landmarks, son of Abraham, son of David, and the exile to Babylon, that gives us a framework for understanding the Old Testament. And uh, if you want a picture of what this genealogy kind of feels like, or a picture of how to see the flow of history in the Old Testament, it's a pretty good place to look um, here in verse 17. 14 generations from Abraham to David, uh, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And, and the idea here is if you think about a letter N that goes you know, up, down and up, uh, God makes a promise to Abraham and then it looks up and you get up to David. And God makes a promise to David, but things kind of go downhill from then on so badly that the people of God end up in exile. And we've seen all this. And then the hope picks up because the prophets say that God's still going to fulfill his promises. And that takes us to the Messiah. It takes us to Jesus. And so the big deal, really, when you look at Matthew chapter 1, this genealogy, is the Messiah has arrived. The Messiah, of course, is the Hebrew for the Christ. And Christ isn't Jesus' surname. It's a title. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He is the King. He's God's forever King who rules on the throne of David. And um, when you look at this genealogy, it really highlights this. So son of Abraham, son of David, then the exile, where's the hope? Look forward to Jesus. But it's an unusual genealogy for another reason. That is, when you look at this, it's different, and it's different in a number of ways to other genealogies, but it's different to the one in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 3 has another kind of ancestry.com of Jesus. But there aren't any women mentioned uh, in Luke's gospel. Here in the gospel of Matthew, there are five women who get a mention. Uh, verse 3, there's 
there's Tamar, uh, verse 5, there's Rahab. Uh, again, there's Ruth in verse 5, and then down verse 6, there's Uriah's wife. And then finally, of course, there's Mary, who is the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Why are these women there? And I think it's worth pausing on this because it's not a, not, a, not unusual for us, is it, um, in today's age to look back and see now there's the grandmother and the grandfather and there's the mother and the father and there's the aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews and so on and, and the family tree is very much a his and a hers and it's a mixture of all the kind of interrelationships and marriages and so on but here in the ancient world for the people of Israel the genealogies were primarily through the father's line and uh, in the original it's literally Abraham fathered Isaac and Isaac fathered Jacob and so on but a number of times the women are mentioned. Now, when you start to explore the particular women that are mentioned, I think we get some clues to what Matthew is kind of hinting at right from the start, because these are unusual women, particularly unusual women to put in a, in a pedigree kind of family line of Jesus. Um, why? Because when you look at them, they stand out. Tamar, well, she's a Canaanite. Uh, Rahab, she's from the city of Jericho. Ruth, she was a Moabite. Bathsheba, well, her name doesn't actually even get mentioned. She's called Uriah the Hittite's wife, well, or Uriah's wife, but Uriah is a Hittite. So Canaanites, Moabites, um, the one from Jericho, and Hittites, what we see in the family tree when you look at it through the lens of the women is God's son's family tree isn't just from the line of Abraham. It includes people from all nations. Not only that, but uh, when you look closely at this list, and it's true for the women, and it's true for the men, these are sinful people. These are moral failures. And I think the women's circumstances kind of point this out, because with Tamar, you can read about it in Genesis 38, uh, she dresses up as a prostitute and sleeps with her father-in-law so that his uh, family line continues through her. Um, there's a bit of deception going on here. Uh, you see, too, that Rahab in Jericho, in Joshua 2, she is a prostitute. Um, you come down to Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Well, David literally commits adultery with her. In fact, it's it's abuse, really, because he's the king and he should know better. And then he murders, or at least leaves, Uriah uh, out on the front line of battle to be murdered so that he can take the wife. So they're skeletons in the closet, if you like, of this particular family. And not surprisingly, because when you get to Matthew, and uh, sorry, when you get to Mary, there are a number of Kind of unusual things about Mary, and we'll see that when we look at the next part of the chapter. But what we have here, when you look at the genealogy, is more than a boring introduction. Um, don't be tempted just to skip over the names. Go, oh, well, there was Jesus the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham, and there were lots and lots of fathers and a couple of mothers, and then you get down to Mary. Don't do that, because this is God's word, and God's given it to us for a reason, and one of the things that we see here is that God is keeping his promises 
And he's not a racist God. He's not a sexist God. He's not a kind of a morally elitist God who only chooses the good people. Now, you see God choosing men and women from all places. And of course, when you get to the end of the gospel, you see how the blessings to Abraham are going to go to all of the nations. And there's hints of that here and there will be throughout the gospel. But let's take a closer look then at this one, Jesus, the Messiah or the Christ. Uh, Picking it up at verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So first thing they discover here is that Mary is not actually married yet. Uh, She's engaged, but she's pregnant. Uh, well, there's, uh, there's something that's a bit troublesome. Uh, as you read on, because Joseph, her husband, it calls her husband, but literally they're just betrothed and they, they've not consummated the marriage. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Why? Because he knows that he's not the father. They haven't slept together yet. So that seems very dodgy for Mary, doesn't it? Uh, You read on after this. uh, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Mary is not yet married, has not yet slept with a man, is pregnant, and the conception is by the Holy Spirit. This is why it's important important that we we recognize that it's the virgin mary who gives birth to jesus now she didn't stay a virgin she had a normal relationship with her husband joseph but at this point joseph it's very clear he's not the father he's the husband of mary mary the mother of jesus who is called the messiah and uh, as you read on joseph is given instructions mary is given instructions uh that um when they go home, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, names are important. Uh, we grow attached to our names, don't we? We don't like it when people mispronounce them or misspell them. And some of us are kind of doomed because we've got these unusual names or names that are spelt differently to everybody else. But names are sometimes given because of their meaning. Uh, our kids the names that we have given to them, for each of them, are names of good friends of ours. And I know that those who are teachers can find it very hard to find names for their kids because they've got had so many kind of naughty kids in their classes. They don't want a naughty kid, so they don't want to give it that name. But as you look here at the name that's given to Jesus, he's given the name Jesus which is the kind of, uh, it's a form of the word Joshua, which literally means the Lord saves. Now, Jesus is not the only person who's ever been called Jesus. In fact, uh, it's a very, very common Spanish name, uh, Jesus, and you get it in many, many different countries. People whose name is Jesus or a form of that word, whether it's Joshua or Jesus or some other form. It's a common name. But the distinctive here about this naming of Jesus is that he will be the one who will save. 
it's more than a name that he's given here. It's this is who he is and this is what he's come to do. This, this at birth is his life's purpose and meaning. The Lord saves. He's come to save. But it's not just that he's come as an announcement that the Lord will save. He is the Lord who will save. And you see that in what follows. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, the extraordinary thing here is that that Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary, that he is conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he is God who takes on flesh. He is the Word who becomes a living human being. And so the fetus that's growing inside Mary, the little baby who's learning to talk and walk, uh, the child who grows up, That is the creator becoming part of the creation. And why? To save. The Lord is with us. God is with us. He's come amongst us. The incarnation of God becoming a human being, taking on flesh, is so that he might bring salvation. Why does he need to bring salvation? Well, because of sin. And we've seen a history of sin right through the Old Testament. It causes the failure of God's people again and again and again. Every single person in the genealogy is riddled with sin and they need a saviour. And the last person in the genealogy, Jesus, who is called the Messiah, he is the Lord who saves and he has come to be God with us in order to save people. Friends, this is extraordinary news. And it's important that we take heart of this, take hold of this, because this is a news that is just as important for people to hear today as it was when it was first told. We still need a saviour. We need to be rescued from our sin. We need to see that there is a genuine hope that's to be found in the promises of God. See, politicians aren't going to save this world. Doctors aren't going to save this world. The money markets aren't going to save this world. Scientific discoveries won't save this world because the problem of sin is at the heart and needs to be dealt with. And Jesus comes to save people from their sins. And we'll see how he does that as we look on next week. Let me make a number of points about this. The first point that I'd want to make here is that God remains committed to his world. Uh, This genealogy is a a litany of people who've turned their backs on God. And some of the best of them, David does it, Solomon, wise with all the wisdom of God. His heart is led astray to other gods. And sadly, as you read through this list, you find person after person after person, generation after generation, who turn away from God and they need a saviour. And God has not given up. God in his wonderful purposes, in his oversight of history. Remember, his story is working out his promises and they find fulfillment in Jesus, who is the Saviour. And that's where we've arrived as we open the New Testament. The second thing that I'd point out here is that what we're dealing with is genuinely history. You can go back and you can look at these men and some of these women in the circumstance, in the history that's written. And we've been working our way through the Old Testament and what we're dealing with belongs firmly in the non-fiction section, not in the fiction. Now, in having said this, um, I picked up this little uh, Bible pamphlet 
The Biggest Story by Kevin DeYoung. And I want to read to you how this uh, story begins. Now, bear in mind, this is kind of like a little overview of the Bible from Genesis right through until Jesus and focusing on Jesus and how Jesus is the answer. But this is how it starts. And I read this because I think it's a little concerning. Listen to this. Once upon a time, there was a man and a woman in the garden paradise where they were terrifically happy. Once upon a time. See, that triggers something, doesn't it? When I hear once upon a time, I'm thinking, here's a legend. Here's a story. Here's just a a, a children's story. This is Enid Blyton. This is Agatha Christie. This is Dorothy Sayers. This is... This is um, J.K. Rowling. This, this is somebody who's able to write wonderful stories, but this isn't just a story. No, this shouldn't start once upon a time. What's a better way to start it? In the beginning. See, Genesis begins, in the beginning, God. And God created all of this world that we live in, and he created man and woman to enjoy his garden paradise. It should start in the beginning. It should start with God and then the creation of people. And then we can see what went wrong and then we can see how God fixed it. But it's not a once upon a time type story. Friends, this is genuinely history. And given that this is Father's Day, I want to encourage those who are fathers to teach your children the truth about God, to work through the Bible with your kids, to help them to understand. Or if your kids have grown up, then maybe with your grandkids or help out in a kids club or a Sunday school and teach people this history about Jesus. Maybe if you get to travel overseas, you could go to what we call the Holy Land. You could go to Israel. You could go to Jordan and Turkey and and other places that are actual, real, historical, geographical, and they're in the Bible. We're not dealing with fiction here. We're dealing with non-fiction, with truth, with fact, with reality. And God has brought about his purposes. And we live in a world now that's very, very suspicious. It doesn't believe in truth. And it's very difficult for people to untangle the ideas of, of Marvel and DC superheroes with Jesus. And, and we're not quite sure what we're dealing with. And we need to help our kids to understand that this is history. This is God's story. And this is the events that took place over hundreds and hundreds of years that Jesus came to earth, that he he was born, that he lived, that he died, that he rose, that he ascended again to heaven. And we'll see more of that in the weeks to come. Thank you.